recently um, we, we had a visit from our sister Miss Gillian Gillespie and uh, she is uh, on deputation meetings uh, from the land of Kenya and uh, when she was here uh, she made reference to Acts 17 and um, it got me thinking, it put the thought into my mind, uh, the Mars Hill message uh, and that's what this portion of scripture is really all about. Acts chapter 17 verse 22 Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said Ye men of Athens I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious for as I passed by and beheld your devotions I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. Howbeit certain men cleave unto him, and believed, among the which was um, Dionysus, the Aropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 34 that I've read in your hearing. And my theme tonight is considering the Mars Hill message. Here's the Apostle Paul. And during the course of his Christian life from the day that he got saved, he preached a sermon from Mars Hill in the city of Athens. You've heard of Athens in the news. It's the same city. It's in the land of Greece, and somewhere in the vicinity of the city of Athens is a place called Mars Hill, and that's where they did all the debating. 
And this sermon has been recorded for us by the Holy Ghost. It's probably a synopsis of what he preached. We've read it together. And when I heard Gillian make reference to this uh, a few Wednesday nights ago, it got my mind thinking. I was thinking, first of all, of the thought, a message from Mars. Of course, it's really a message from Mars Hill. And I was, went home with the thought in my mind, what did Paul actually say in the message? And as I've read through the chapter, in a, or the portion on a couple of occasions, there's three things that jumped out at me. Here's the first thing. The creator, he identified. Look at verse 24. It says, God that made the world and all things therein. You see, he started his sermon with God as creator. And of course, that's where every sinner needs to begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God exists, and God exists as creator. And of course, that's where true evangelism really starts. Isn't it sad today that much of modern evangelism has left out this message of creation from its proclamation? We live in a day when we're dealing with many who call themselves atheists. Others call themselves agnostics. We're dealing with those who say, look, guy, I don't believe God exists. There is no God as far as I'm concerned. And then we've got others and say, well, I, I really don't know if God exists. And they look for the answer, maybe in science. And they refuse to look to the scriptures. They don't really believe in the God of creation. They believe the so-called scientific experts. They listen to the university professor. They, they read their works. They, they uh, purport themselves to be followers of Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin, by the way, wasn't an atheist. He didn't describe himself as an atheist. In fact, there is a quotation somewhere that says, I am not an atheist. Isn't there so much propaganda today? And the back cloth of it is, there is no God. Think of the bias of the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation. Think of other television broadcasters. Sky, I was listening to the news the other day and this man was talking about finding alien life. And he was talking about life beginning billions of years ago. And he presented it as if it was a fact, as if it was the gospel. And here's Paul. He stands in Mars Hill He's preaching his sermon. He's dealing with, 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 with people who are atheistic, people who are agnostic, um, um, people who are uh, following certain philosophies of the, the known world at that time. Uh, I'll not go into what the philosophies were to bamboozle you, but there were certain philosophies. Uh, and uh, Paul is dealing with all that. And he starts with God as creator. And you know what he tells them? God made the planet. Is that what he says in verse 24? God that made the world and all things therein. Paul is telling them, look, I've come here to Mars Hill and I have behold your, your devotion. I have behold the gods that you purport to worship. And I came across this altar. It's got this inscription, the unknown God. And him who you ignorantly worship, Paul says, I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you about things that you don't know about him. 
God made the world and all that is in it. Isn't it wonderful to know that God made every bit of our planet? What a lovely planet it is. Yes, marred by sin. But this world is still a very, very beautiful place. You haven't to go far even in Northern Ireland or in different parts of the island of Ireland to come across lovely coastal scenes or special views from a mountain. Or, or, or go into particular valleys and scan your eyes over all that you can see. Go to the seaside. Isn't there so many special places that we could think about tonight? And God made them. God made them in the space of six days. I believe that. Six 24-hour days. He didn't use the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory is the secularist way of explaining how the world was made and they do so using the period of billions of years. Now think of this. This is what they want us to believe. That life started out as some sort of um, biological mass of cells or a singular cell in some sort of uh, chemical soup. And it all involved from that. I, I remember... Uh, Thinking of the little rhyme that we teach the children, I was once a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I was a toad with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banana tree. And now I'm a professor with a PhD. And there's many professors, sadly, in our universities, and they're atheistic and they're agnostic. And um, they, 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 they purport to be so wise, and yet in this reality they're so foolish because they don't believe that God made the planet. Notice not only God made the planet, but God made people. This really struck me as well. Look at verse 26. It says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth. See, God made you. Three simple little words. God made you in his image. Do you know tonight that every human being is a masterpiece. Oh, oh yes, you can say, well, I'm tired. You could say, well, my life's full of trials, preacher. I've got loads of difficulties, problems and pressures that you know nothing about. And that is true. I understand that. But listen to this. You're a masterpiece tonight. You're a wonder. You're the handiwork of God. Didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 139, verse 14, thinking about himself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What was he? What was he telling himself? What was he declaring to those that would listen? God made me. This God who made the planet also made me. It's not a wonderful truth. Think about the uniqueness and the complexity of human life. Think about our DNA for a moment. How special and unique it is to every individual. Think about our heartbeat. Do you know that the heart beats 100,000 times in a day? 300 and, sorry, 35 million times per year? Who and what keeps it beating? Ultimately, God does. Paul says, seeing he giveth to all life 
and breath. Think of our brain. Do you know that there's a hundred billion nerve cells in our brain? Our brain is really the best computer in the world. I'm amazed, of course, what a computer can do and how it really works. And with the click of a mouse, you can uh, get images and information all up in front of you. And, of course, we're indebted to our brother Mark Strong as to what he can do on a computer far exceeds what I can do. But, you know, the brain is something far superior and greater than even the best computer in the world. 100 billion nerve cells. Think of our lungs. 1,500 miles of blood vessels in our lungs. It's true of every individual. Who put them there? God put them there. Think of the eye. One of the best evidences, I believe, that God exists is the design and complexity of the human eye. How could such a complex organ as the eye evolve through natural process? Do you know what resembles a telescope of the highest quality? With a lens, an adjustable focus, a variable diaphragm for um, controlling the amount of light that comes? The optical corrections for spheral and chromatic aberrations? It can't be a production of chance. I believe tonight it's the product of the creator. Think of the ear, the human earring. And the mechanism in the human ear is tremendously complex, wonderfully designed. Think of the structure and the functions of the human ear. Did you know that the BBC in a recent programme talked about fish gills becoming human ears, evolving over millions of years? That's absolute rubbish. We acknowledge that there's hundreds and probably thousands of different species of particular animals, hundreds of species of different birds, hundreds of species of different dogs. But what are they? They're still birds, not right? It's still dogs, yes. There's no change of kind. The Bible talked about God made them in Genesis 1 after their kind. There's not one bit of evidence that there's a change of kind. A bird becoming a dog, or a dog becoming a donkey, or, or, or a donkey becoming an elephant, or, or, or a monkey becoming a man. God is an amazing God tonight. And he made the planet. And he made people. And when we come to worship him, only a fool would say, there is no God. We come accepting that we're totally and absolutely dependent on him. In this portion of scripture, we read the words, verse 28, for in him we move and live and have our being. I am mindful every day that the breath that I breathe is a gift from God. God holds my breath in his hands. God holds my days in his hand. Isn't that what we read here? It says, and have determined his times, or the times before appointed, and the bounds of their inhabitation. The lifespan of man is determined by God. We are dependent on him for our breath, for our days. And every one is a mercy and a gift from himself. We come to worship this God knowing that we're ultimately answerable to him. The Bible says to then every one of us 
shall give an account of himself to God. We must all appear before God's judgment seat. And the wonderful message tonight is that God loves us and sent Jesus Christ to bleed and die for us. We've got a soul. We've got a sin problem. He provided a solution and a remedy for that. Um, We've got to stand before him and give an account of our life. We've got to spend eternity either with this amazing God who exists or without him, made of one blood. All nations of men for to dwell in the face of the earth. That's a reference to Adam. That's a reference to the first man. God took the dust of the ground, built a human body, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And we're all of one offspring. And you know, recently, an atheist, who was an avowed atheist, who, who was a militant atheist, I'm trying to think of his name. I, I think it was the Reverend Eastwood. He's become a minister now of the gospel. And um, he, he was a university professor. And he was challenged through a simple uh, little audio cassette uh, on the question of evolution. And what struck him was the complexity of human DNA. And that was his field of study. And through that, he became convinced that God has made me in his image. And there is a God. And that man got right with God and become an ex-atheist and now a minister of the gospel. He discovered we have all common ancestor. And it's traced back to one, even Adam. There's the God he identified. Or the creator he identified. Notice secondly, uh, the command he specified. It could come to verse 30. It says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, now notice what is commanded. Repent. Now, now, what does that mean? When you read the word repent in the Bible, what does it mean? Let me give you a sinful definition. It means sorry enough to quit your sin. Let me give you the shorter catechism definition. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God, with full purpose of, and endeavour after new obedience. You see, that involves a, a change of mind. That involves a change in one's thinking and attitude. Here's the individual who loves and enjoys sin. Sinful activity is a pleasure. As far as he's concerned, it's something that makes him happy. But when he begins to repent, it involves a change of mind and attitude toward his sin. He now sees sin for what it is, a transgression of the law, because that's what sin is. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. He discovers that sin is heinous in the sight of God. It's an awful thing to to sin against a holy God and his holy law. He's conscious that sin deserves punishment. The wages of sin is death. And sin will eventually bring him down into a life of eternal separation in hell without God. So it involves a change of mind. Can I tell you something else? It also involves a change of lifestyle. A person that genuinely and truly repents with godly sorrow, you'll see a change in that person. You'll see a difference. 
person, for example, will say, used to, to smoke and drink alcohol and lie and curse. And maybe he loved the nightclubs, put self first. He was guilty of gossip and slander and envy and jealousy. He, he's um, uh, no time for the things of God. You couldn't have dragged him into a church. You mentioned the Bible. He had a bad attitude toward it. And now he's changed. Now he's going to church on a Sunday, twice on a Sunday. Now he's reading his Bible for himself. There's a love there. Now he's attending the prayer meeting where you never would have found him before. Now, now he loves the souls of men. The man, there's a change has taken place. Doesn't the Bible say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. That's what repentance is. Now, now why repent? Why this command to the Athenians? Let me suggest to you, when you think of the Athenians, the people who lived in Athens, they were in essence a bunch of superstitious idolaters. Oh yes, they, they believed in certain philosophies. They, they believed in Gnosticism and they believed in Epicureanism. And I, I, I could explain them, but I'll not take the time tonight. They were really worshippers of idols. We often think of them worshipping gods of stone, and gods of wood, gods of silver, maybe even gods of gold. And that possibly could have been true. And you could say, well, thank God, preacher, I don't worship idols of stone and wood, and I don't bow down to a silver statue or even a golden statue. But what about being a worshipper of oneself, adopting the attitude, there's nobody like me. Uh, of course, the mirror is one of the most important pieces of furniture in the home for this type of individual. T telling themselves um, how good-looking and how beautiful I am. I think of the pop stars and the film stars taking selfies of themselves and sending them forth for publication in the media. See, at the heart, there's a spirit of selfishness. They're more important than God. The Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But they have made themselves into a god. What about those that worship sport? Even when it comes to playing sport on the Lord's day, whether it's golf or football, and it preoccupies their time, and it involves their, 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 their effort, it, it consumes their, their, their thinking. We can apply it to the field of business. All the time and energy has gone into to making money. No, no thought or regard of God. Maybe it's a home. Whether it's a husband or a wife who have beautiful homes and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but there's many in Northern Ireland who's made a God out of their home. That's what they live for. Maybe it's the farm. Being too busy. I have a high regard for farmers. I know the busy lifestyle that they can have. And yet we could never reach the point where we say, well, I'm too busy for God. Or too busy to attend the house of God. Put the Lord first. Them that honour me, I will honour. What about the church? We go round the doors but times and carried off and people regularly say to me, oh, I've got my church reverend. I'm told that there's supposed to be 15 worship uh, places in the carried off area. And you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I've got my church. But what does that mean? 
Many people are religious in Northern Ireland. Not enough, because amongst the mix are many who are atheistic and agnostic. And they live independent of God. And they do their own thing without thought or regard for the Lord or the things of God. But those that are religious may worship their church in that sense that that's what they they pour their life into. But are they regenerate? Are they born again? Have they trusted Christ as Lord and Saviour? I told you before, I had a lovely aunt who who passed away some time ago uh, and um, at the funeral service, all the minister could talk about was that she was a great servant of the church. And that's wonderful. And oh, that we had people with that mindset again in, the, in our own denomination, who, who, whose heart and soul was in the work of God 100%. But you could be a servant of the church, not a servant of Christ. And there's a vast difference. Notice not only what repentance is and why they were to repent, but notice when it says in the text here, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. See, that's the only time we're sure of. Today, not tomorrow. The Bible says today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. The Bible says, come now, let us reason together. Thus saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The, the Bible tells us, behold, now is accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. When we hear the voice of God, when we're conscious of our sin, when it becomes a felt reality, when we know that we stand in need of mercy, then let's go to God and cry out. That's what true and genuine repentance is. It's turning from our sin and having a change in our lifestyle. Notice lastly, Here's the third thing he presented in the sermon. Not only the creator he identified, the God who made the planet and made people. Not only the, the command that he specified, repent. But think of the Christ he presented at the end of the sermon. Look at verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised them from the dead. This is a wonderful text of scripture. We could really have a sermon all on its own. But at the end of the sermon, having presented God as creator, having issued this command, he then brings them to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice the last word in verse 31. Death. That brings us to Christ's redemptive work. Christ's atoning death. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Wasn't it a wonderful truth to say that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures? Our substitute, our surety, our sin bearer, our sin offering, our sacrifice. Not only Christ's redemptive atoning death is mentioned, but... Christ's resurrection. It says here, and hath raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection. 
And notice Christ's return. Because he says, here's why he's commanding us to repent. Because he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. How? By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. In other words, Christ is coming back as judge. And all kinds of sinners, even the atheists and the agnostics, they're going to stand before him. You know, we haven't heard the last or the end of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he returns, he's returning as the judge who will judge in righteousness. And the guarantee of that is his bodily resurrection from the dead. That's Paul's argument. He is coming back. And how will you fare in that day? Will you be ready to meet him? Will you have a testimony? Will I have received Christ as my Lord and my Savior? My sin question has been dealt with. I've been washed in the blood. And I'd be received with assurance into God's heaven. Isn't it wonderful to know that in verse 34, there was certain people in Athens that day who heard the sermon. Oh yes, there were some mocked. There were some mentioned to Paul, look, Thanks for telling us that. We'll hear thee again of this matter at a different time. But there were some people who cleaved to Paul and believed. I love that word, and believed. That is, they trusted in Christ. They adhered to this message. They relied their all for eternity on the Savior. Among them was this man called Dionysus, the Aropagite. And a woman named Damaris. And others with them. Will you be among that number? Here's the Christ you presented. Christ's redemptive work. Christ's resurrection. Christ's return. Christ ruling and reigning in righteousness. The question for us now. So will we bow the knee in time to him as Lord and Saviour? Will we believe this message? Or will we mock? Will we put it off to a convenient day? That's the question that faces us tonight. Here's the creator he identifies. Tell yourself tonight for it's true God made me in his image. I'm special. I'm a masterpiece. Think of this command, he specifies. God, this God who made me, commands me to repent of my sin, to change my mind, to change my lifestyle. Think of the Christ he presented. Do you know him? Do you love him? Have you trusted him? Is he your Lord and Savior tonight? I trust that if he's not, you'll make him such. And if he is, then you'll go home rejoicing, thinking of the words when we all get to heaven. We'll see Jesus as he really is. May the Lord take these few thoughts tonight and bless them to our heart.